and welcome to Profit's Healthcare Changemakers podcast, where we'll be talking to leaders in healthcare who are focused on transforming their organizations to drive the next level of growth for their business and for healthcare. At Profit, we believe that the organizations that thrive in healthcare are those that dare to change the game, striving to improve human health, create better experiences, and make the best of care an enduring and sustainable reality for all. Those that will transform healthcare are the changemakers. And for this podcast, we want to focus on them. Our podcast styles into and recognizes the people behind the transformation and their journeys in changing the game one story at a time. Are you ready to dive in? Hello, everybody. This is Jeff Gorgi with this week's podcast. I'm very pleased to have with us Jody Rosen, who is the Vice President of Innovation and Digital Strategy at City of Hope. Jody, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Jeff, and thanks so much for having me on today. I'm <laughs> delighted to be here. Good, good, good. It's a pleasure. So let's start and we'll talk about your, your, your current role and some of your thoughts about healthcare. And I'm really excited to get there, but I want to start with you. Um, tell us about your career path and all the things that led up to your current role. And whether you start here or whether you kind of wrap your answer, make sure you include at least one fun personal tidbit that those that, uh, you know, perhaps know you professionally don't necessarily know about you. Okay. All right. Well, I'll try to do the last tidbit justice. Um, okay, cool. <laughs> but I think the thing to know about me, Jeff, is that I'm a public health girl at heart. And I'm really motivated by what used to be the triple aim and today folks would talk about as the quadruple aim of improving health of populations, improving patient experience, improving value and reducing cost of care, um, and improving the work life of healthcare providers. Hmm. And those are really the core values that I bring to the work that I lead. Um, I grew up in healthcare operations. I spent a lot of my early career in federally qualified health centers, community hospitals, large IDNs, and AMCs. And so I'm really, I deeply understand how care is delivered. And I'll date myself a bit for for you and the audience, but growing up in healthcare operations in the 90s, um, I was really part of a lot of practices moving from paper to an EMR or even 90s and into 2000s, one EMR to another in meaningful use and kind of adding technology to how care is delivered. And that was really formative for me. And so later in my career, I added in more user-centered design from an engineering lens to my public health and business skills. And I would say throughout my healthcare career, I've spent time across sort of the main healthcare ecosystem, P's, payer, pharmacy, patient, and provider. But it really is that intersection of the patient and the provider is kind of my sweet spot and, and the place I love to work. And as my career evolved, I moved more into healthcare strategy and business development roles I worked for a top 10 academic medical center um, in those in many of those roles and really saw, again, the firsthand opportunity as well as challenges that technology and digital can bring to care delivery, patient experience, research and a growing workforce. And I had the privilege to work on writing a strategic plan for setting up an innovation department at Northwestern Medicine, where I worked for almost nine years. And And then I had the honor to be tapped to lead that department along with a physician dyad leader, which I did. And we focused on 
digital health innovation, clinical innovation, system innovation. And today, um, I am leading um, digital innovation work at City of Hope. And in that capacity and growing from all of my years of experience, I'm, we're really working to leverage digital innovation at City of Hope to create new or enhanced business processes and experiences or solutions to meet the needs of our patients, our providers, our workforce, and the larger oncology community. Um, and it's a very, very exciting time, as we'll talk about, um, to be at City of Hope as we're delivering on a, a one City of Hope experience to patients now across the country, um, which is super exciting. And I'm not forgetting your fun question. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I wasn't going to let you off the hook. Don't let me off the hook. Um, and so I think maybe the fact that people don't know in my professional life that maybe my personal friends would know is that I'm a proud mama of five kids and <laughs> our, our very busy life um, spans kids five, 15 to 27 years of age. Um, my husband and I are super blessed with a very, very full life and terrific kids. Um, sometimes though, when you go to bed with that many, you kind of exhale and say like, who did you text talk to? <laughs> what in-person conversation did you have? Like, uh -huh. is everyone doing okay? And, and I'll share this for you and for the viewers is, um, it's because I do think it's hard today to kind of show up only professionally. I think, you know, your personal yeah, yeah. life, your professional yeah. life, where we all are, technology is all intersecting. And I think, you know, my, my husband and I are also managing sort of aging parents. And so we're also at this sort of sandwich generation at the moment. And it's very interesting to think about across our sort of multi-generational crew, <laughs> sort of that interesting experience of how we are all accessing the healthcare delivery system, but sort of the points in which our family is accessing it um, is, is very interesting. And I just think that kind of working in healthcare, that intersection of of the span of our ages of our family, including aging parents and showing up to work. It's, it's a very interesting time to think about that intersection um, of both personal and professional. Yeah, it's, it's certainly one of those things that makes working in healthcare real, right? Is that you, you talk about it at work and then you experience it, right? And that brings, you know, a lot of humanity, I think, to the work that we do. And it's, it's what drew a lot of us, certainly including myself, to being excited about this part of the, you know, of the, of the, of the world and the world of business, which is where I entered from. Um, and I chose it for many of the reasons that, that you talk about. Well, thank you for sharing that. So this is, this, we call this podcast about the healthcare change makers, right? We're obviously trying to bring learnings and lessons about what it takes to drive innovation and change. So now to your point, you've done it at different types of uh, healthcare organizations, payers and otherwise. I'd love just to hear your reflections around you know, clearly you've learned some stuff, right? We all have. But if, if there were some lessons about driving innovation and driving change in healthcare that you wish you knew back when, uh, you know, fax machines and paper to EMR was all that was all was new. Yeah. Well, obviously, I gave myself away because I said growing up in healthcare <laughs> operations in the 90s. Right. So. Right. I, 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 I know the wound you're pouring salt in, but um, <laughs> I'll, I think some of the advice I'd tell, you know, maybe my my younger self in healthcare, um, and definitely in the innovation space, is um, is it's a team sport, and that innovation work by definition is multidisciplinary. 
and yeah. knowing how to innovate and transform in highly matrix systems is so, so, so important. And especially in healthcare, where oftentimes our systems are highly siloed and inner innovation really can be fostered at higher speeds with greater agility um, to this kind of product development, program development uh, aspect of design, develop, test, iterate when cross-functional teams get pulled together. And, and I also think along those lines of interdisciplinary team engagement is really bringing end users and stakeholders into the process early on. They can add so much value um, related to, to user-centered design. And so um, I think those very novel transformative approaches to complex healthcare delivery challenges um, really can be solutioned through that sort of team mentality. I, I think another um, lesson I've learned with age and a couple gray hairs um, would be, I think about kind of Aaron Burr saying to Hamilton, uh, talk less, smile more. And really, um, I think that is like that the emphasis is listen more. And I do believe um, your patients, your workforce tells you what they want. And listening is a great place to begin with innovation. Um, and, and I briefly mentioned in my intro, but later in my career, about maybe 10, 12 years ago, I had the privilege of doing some executive education and learning in the design innovation space with roots in engineering and business. And my training allowed me to more formally grow my skills in applying human-centered approaches to problem solving and expanding my product design and development skills, and also kind of leading with research methodology around innovation to ensure healthcare products and programs I was building and leading were being developed with those users in mind. And so, you know, I think it is this listening more and leveraging mm -hmm. user-centered design really does allow organizations to ensure the needs of their users are front and center in the solutioning, in the product development, in the new program offering space. Well, I think that's our first Hamilton uh, reference on this podcast. So thank you for that. <laughs> but in addition to that, thank you for those lessons. So my, my observation, Jody, and I think it's consistent with what you're saying is that as I you know, have, the, have the privilege of working with a lot of different health systems, and sometimes I see their plans and sometimes I'm involved in creating the plans, but there's a lot of commonality, right? Things that sound obvious, right? If we can you know, reduce these friction points in the journey and create online scheduling and physician reviews. And there's some greatest hits, right, that tend to come up over and over again. And it begs the question, is that innovation? And for me, the answer is it's innovation if you haven't done it yet, right? It doesn't have to be a new, fresh idea no one's ever thought of. The, the game is, is not necessarily that. It's how do you do it? Is that consistent with the lessons you shared? I think it is. It is. It is. And I, I sometimes think about innovation, and, and specifically di digital innovation is like a Maslow hierarchy of need pyramid. Um, yeah. Whereas by the bottom foundation of that pyramid, which is wider, right, and, and steadier, it, you've got some of the core functionality of growing maturity. And so, you know, again, back to kind of basics, EHR adoption, sometimes one instance of an EMR, um, interoperability across sites of care, kind of basics. And then Systems begin to, especially through a provider lens, I'm going to say, and kind of a patient journey lens, they digitize the basic processes. So you mentioned things like online scheduling and bill pay yeah. and messaging yeah. your doctor, right? Like the real kind of digitization of the basic processes. And then from a more stable core, you can move up and do digitize some of the clinical processes. We've seen an explosion with the pandemic of virtual care, asynchronous and synchronous modalities, remote patient monitoring, 
And then from, you know, kind of some of those, you know, clinical decision support tools, but then really at the top, you get to really have more of that, you know, kind of transformative design, um, patient-centered tools, proactive intelligence solutions, you know, that leverage big data, AI interactions and platforms. And so I think to your point, Jeff, I'd say sometimes it's very hard for organizations to do that top of the pyramid when their bottom structure still has a lot of growth. And so I think it's the, I think it's both. I think it's, you can have sort of both pieces, one in each hand, you can work on continuing to grow the core and strengthen some of those basics that for some are core innovations, but, but really vital and and they are innovative in their own way, but then finding a way to carve out a path for, for more, uh, you know, adjacent transformational type innovations really in key to. So that's interesting, Jody. Your 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 pyramid, if you will, or your um, step changes in, in ambition as you go from the online scheduling to the you know the proactive intelligence and some of the things you talked about is clear. But uh, I hadn't thought about it as a as a pyramid in that you know the base is required. Is that just from like a confidence building? We talked about people and get overcoming fears. Is do you really need to do the basic stuff first because it builds internal confidence and builds a chase for, case for change, or is there another reason you describe it as? necessary to come before you get to the top of the pyramid? I, I think it's it's a little bit of both. I think for me, intersection innovation really happens at that intersection of people, process, technology. So from a, a pure technical lens, um, not even digital, I think of digital as like how people use the technology, but from a pure technical, some of that base and core is needed so that your main infrastructure is there, that you have, you know, more advanced, whether it's security, cloud, core you know, one instance interoperability to talk to your sites of care. So some of it is you really need it from a technical perspective and a digital perspective. The other piece is really organization and culture. I think, Jeff, yeah, you know, some yeah, of the work yeah. that, that you've really led and, and, you know, kind of builds confidence amongst the workforce. If, again, it's the people in the process sometimes in that three-legged stool of people process technology, that's the hard stuff. Um, sometimes yeah, the technology yeah. is the super easy piece. Right, right. With the right budget. Uh, <laughs> right. <good>. So true. <laughs> That's right. Okay. So let's pivot to um, talking about City of Hope. So first, tell us what led you there? What made you say, wow, there's something really cool that I can affect and I can change. And then I'm curious, obviously, as much as you're willing and comfortable to share about the, what's the change agenda look like and where is City of Hope going, going to bring some of that di- digital and innovation in the next two, three years those of us that read the headlines know about the recent, you know, not so recent, perhaps uh, acquisition mm-hmm. of uh, Cancer Treatment Centers of America and the rebranding. So I assume that's part of the story, but I'd love to, but maybe it's not. I'd love to hear from you. What led you there and, and, and what's the change agenda now? For sure. Well, I'm excited. Let me let me kind of take you back a little because it'll, it'll lay the groundwork for what excited me about the opportunity. Yeah. And so the City of Hope story really began in 1913. Um, when a group of volunteers spurred by compassion for helping those who had tuberculosis uh, established what at the time was known as the Jewish Consumptive Relief Association. And they raised money to start a free non-sectarian tuberculosis sanitarium, um, which is in Duarte, which today is where our main hospital campus is located. And really that launched a century now journey that has placed City of Hope at the forefront of our nation's leading medical and research institutions. And by the mid 
1940s or so, um, thanks to the discovery of antibiotics, tuberculosis was on the decline in the U.S. And mm -hmm. so City of Hope really rose to the next challenge and tackled the disease of cancer, as well as diabetes and later HIV and AIDS and other rare diseases. And so City of Hope has always been an innovative institution and has led significant advances in modern medicine, including the first synthetic human insulin technology behind um, widely used cancer-fighting drugs. And today, City of Hope's a designated comprehensive cancer center, which is the highest ranking um, bestowed by the NCI, the National Cancer Institute, and we're a founding mm -hmm. member of the National Comprehensive Cancer Network. And so I, I share all of that with you um, because this was an opportunity to be at a growing healthcare organization that is nearly singularly focused on one disease state. And that was very, very attractive to me. Um, innovation requires significant strategic focus and direction and culture. Uh, we're just talking a little bit about that and the opportunity to innovate deeply in a focused disease state through a lens of equity and access and best patient experience and provider experience was, was very, very exciting to me. And you did mention that uh, our recent acquisition of Cancer Treatment Centers of America, um, you know, City of Hope is now able to share that expertise, um, centuries, you know, a century of expertise to benefit a greater number of patients in even more communities and we did recently announce just a, a bit over a week ago um, the transition of our locations to our City of Hope brand as we yeah. hit the one-year uh, integration milestone as a national cancer research and treatment uh, health system. And it really allows us to uh, continue to commit to democratizing cancer care. And, and I think that was a third thing that really spoke to me, again, back to my public health training. Um, it lends itself very well to all of those quadruple aim kind of core values that I have. And even a lot of what's happening now in discussion of um, adding kind of a fifth aim around health equity and, and City of Hope is, is very passionately working in that space, which is exciting. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I, can, I can speak to that a little bit more just to kind of maybe do a bit of a double click on that, because when you look at where the challenges are in healthcare outcomes and experience and cost of care and where the workforce suffers most, Jeff, it really is often in under-resourced communities um, and, you know, oftentimes communities that have been oppressed. And so that inclusion of equity and democratization is, is so important. And City of Hope, in addition to its clinical care and research, we have led many successful efforts to advocate for equity, including our involvement in passing the California Cancer Care Equity Act, which really enables the most vulnerable populations in California to seek optimal cancer care services and access to subspecialists and clinical trials. And while the impact of cancer care innovation has been very positive, um, cancer care advancements are resulting in rapidly improved patient outcomes. Um, cancer death rates in the U.S. have decreased about 33% over the past 30 years since a, a peak in the early 90s. Yet access to that optimal care um, is, is still an issue. And 
that it's, this is concerning because over 80% of cancer care is delivered out in the community. And so mm-hmm. there's lots of, of health equity implications and um, being able to address that um, is so important and, and at the roots of sort of who we always have been and as part of the work we have ahead of us. Um, so it, it's a very exciting time to be part of the organization. Yeah, for sure. So what's, what's, what's coming? So um, a lot of strategic effort to, in a multi-pronged approach to address some of the, the disparities. Um, you know, cancer death rates are higher among people with lower socioeconomic status compared to people yeah. with higher SES. We know African-American men have over uh, 110% and, and African-American women have 39% higher risk of dying from uh, sequentially first prostate cancer, second breast cancer for women compared to their white counterparts. We know Hispanic women experience stomach cancer incidents and deaths almost mm-hmm. twice as often as white women. So our approach to begin to transition to locations that are City of Hope branded begins to have standard of care, democratization and access to clinical trials, and begins to, to break down some of these siloed experiences with, with access to subspecialty expertise and ability to partner in communities where um, more sort of generalized oncology care is delivered. So it's a, it's a very exciting time. Um, and we have a, a workforce of over 11,000 team members, um, over 600 physicians, more than 1,000 t- scientists and research that are kind of s- spanning now, not just California, but Arizona, uh, Georgia, and Illinois. So yeah, yeah. lots ahead, lots happening, um, and, and couldn't, be, couldn't be more proud to be part of the organization right now. Yeah, so, so much of um, what what is known in in clinical care is based on codifying and pattern recognition of the past, right? But to your point, the limitation on that is a lot of the pattern recognition has been based on you know white men, right? To put it you know yep. most most bluntly and most simply, and I think you know part of what a lot of organizations are doing and the benefit of scale is sometimes it's so you can arm wrestle with you know with with Blue Cross Blue Shield better, but but really it's around getting to these solutions. And what I think I'm hearing is for City of Hope, expanding its footprint is part and parcel, not just to delivering the great value you already provide to the communities in, you know, in Los Angeles, but to be able to do a step change increase in how you add value, how you get to these answers requires the scale to be able to get at some of these health inequities that you addressed. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we both know that, you know, sadly care um, and in, in the case of oncology, um, survival is often directly dictated by your zip code, right? It's the work yeah. that the CDC has been doing on their 500 cities project, which uses health data, I think, from over 100 million people. And those statistics really show, you know, where you live affects your health um, on oncology, but across a whole host of other um, disease states. You know, I alluded to before, I really think about innovation happening at that intersection of people, process, and technology, and kind of viewing it as like a three-legged stool. And so I, I think leading with people allows us to build empathy and deeply understand the needs of our patients. Um, it allows us to better, more effectively, efficiently connect people and collapse barriers. And 
again, back to kind of, you know, what would you have told your younger self, you know, multidisciplinary teams are so important. And so the Mm -hmm. people piece of that, the opportunity to work together, to incubate ideas, solve problems, build, bring clinical practitioners together with researchers, together with the community, um, leading with people is so important. I think, you know, the second leg of that stool, leading with process. So um, allowing us to optimize workflow with human-centered design approaches, right, as we are creating a fabric across the country of a national uh, cancer research and treatment center, being able to really deeply understand the workflows and approaches, ensure cross-department collaboration. And then I think part of the process, too, is, is a bit of the culture piece. And having a safe space to test, to iterate. And, and sometimes it's part of innovation, right, to fail forward and build on those learnings and experiences. You know, what worked in one community may not work in another. Um, or what one works in one community is, is incredible to be replicated in another. So I think that process piece is huge. And then the third leg of the stool, I think, is really leading with technology because the technology is the enabler. It allows us to enable the people in the process. And, and that's some of your, your human-centric model as well. And that we can ensure we can integrate and automate the processes so that solutions are data-driven. They allow us to accelerate a rapid rate um, and reach more, more people um, and break down some of those siloed experiences of oncology care and other rare disease care that, that we were talking about. So I think, you know, that's, that's really, really important. And, um, uh, so City of Hope is going to continue to lead with our people. It's our greatest mm-hmm. asset. Uh, but as we become a national cancer research and treatment system, um, a treatment center and system, we, like many healthcare providers, have to continue to build those digital experiences um, using our technology to meet those unique needs of our patients and our workforce and the larger oncology community and, and to reach them where they are. And, and digital provides that opportunity to do it. And, you know, I think I love the work that Eric Topol talks about in terms of like the value of leveraging technology, <laughs> not to replace people. And I think that's so important. Um, I think that we need to think about leveraging new technology, new AI, new solutions to ensure we can make medicine better and that we can also, in addition to using some of these digital and technology experiences, um, we can you know, free doctors and clinicians from the, the tasks that interfere with human connection. And we can actually use the technology to give clinicians back the gift of time and restore the care in healthcare. Um, so I, I, I continue to see that as part of building on the framework that, that you all have around kind of your, your human-centric model and, and how that, that aligns with a lot of the work we're doing too. Yeah, yeah. It strikes me that since the beginning of probably going back to the industrial revolution or beyond, right? There's been this fear of technology replacing humans or machines replacing humans. And you know maybe those fears are still legit now for different reasons, but boy, it just seems like the demographics require suggest that we don't have to worry so much about being replaced. There are not enough, as one of our one of my clients said to me once, there's not enough humans being born to take care of the humans that have already been born, right? As we have an enormous amount of our population um, entering into their 65 plus years of age um, and living longer and 
Um, again, I think while it worries me that we need to be able to compete with the rapid evolution of changing models of care, whether it's care at home, ensure that the workforce is working at top of license, right? Not eliminating anybody, but getting everyone to work at top of license. Um, and that we won't be as bold as we need to um, about driving some of those changes to meet the ever-growing needs of truly an aging population. So I think that would be a worry, um, but also a great challenge and opportunity. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, I can then add to the the worry with the excitement because I'm that's sort of how I roll. I want to look at things in a in a in a better lens and. I am very excited by the growth of omni-channel care delivery that we are seeing up and down the healthcare ecosystem. Um, we're seeing new models of partnership between folks who used to not talk to each other, right? Whether that's payer provider, provider digital health startup, research and advocacy groups, it's, it's very exciting. And, um, you know, we have to remember that our patients, our workforce, our providers, our digital consumers in every other part of their lives. And so we must, as a healthcare industry, be giving mm -hmm. them the tools to manage their care that they have been used to managing in every other part of their lives. And so we can no longer have them, you know, continuing to do analog ways of business where every other part of their business life, they have gone digital. So I think that's, that's the exciting opportunity. And, um, I, I will share that I think another very exciting opportunity um, for me has been that COVID actually brought to the forefront um, a lot of conversations around clinical trials that maybe hadn't existed before. So, you know, the vast majority of, <laughs> of the world was talking about uh, clinical trials and when we'd have a vaccine, right? And and those became dinner time. Yeah conversations, right. conversations right. on Zoom, right, when we right. weren't gathering with people. And the vast majority of families pre-March of 2020 never talked about a clinical trial. And right. so that begins to build on democratizing access, democratizing awareness in this convergence of this healthcare delivery ecosystem that sometimes has been a laggard <laughs> to the digital party and to the disruption party. And I'll end kind of with a personal story on this one. And um, for me, um, my first friend in life um, was Felicia. And she lived three houses away from me. We were born five days apart. Mm -hmm. And our moms were best friends. And Felicia and I grew up together. And just as Felicia's life was launching, she had graduated from law school she had gotten married. She was giving back to her community. She was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. And this was back in the early 90s. And she had an aggressive form. And when standard protocol therapies were not working, uh, she did participate in a clinical trial. And I remember learning about clinical trials throughout the course of my public health schooling and um, in research articles, maybe I reviewed as I was getting my MPH. But I never knew anyone who was part of a clinical trial. And I don't even think I'd ever spoken about a clinical trial with friends or family. Yeah, yeah. And sadly, the clinical trial came too late for Felicia. And yeah. we lost her far too young at 26. 
my first friend in life was gone. And I share the story with you because although clinical trials conversations have become mainstream at dinner tables, on Instagram and TikTok, not everyone has access to trials or the awareness. And this democratization of oncology care um, that we are leading at City of Hope, this is the work around education, best in class, National Cancer Institute, NCI designated care, holistic care, supportive care that we are leading now across the country. And that fuels me each and every day. Well, I think we are all, I think I can speak for everyone who will listen here. We're all rooting for you personally, and we're rooting for the City of Hope because what you talk about is, 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 is important and it's inspiring. Jody Rosen, Vice President of Innovation and Digital Strategy, City of Hope. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks so much, Jeff, for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Profits Healthcare Transformers podcast. This podcast is produced by Jared Johnson and his wonderful team at Shift Forward Health. And a big thank you to our hosts, Priya and Asia, Lindsay Mosby, Paul Schrimpf, and Jeff Gorgi. If you liked today's episode, you can find more great content like this at profit.com slash thinking. I'm Anna Kuno, the senior editor of this podcast. Thank you for listening.